Okay, it is 12.31 a.m. technically Monday morning. Um, it is 30 minutes into the new day. Uh, Bob, I'm doing almost like two Monday morning analysts uh, on this, I guess, technically January 16th of 2017. Uh, let's talk about these fights. Okay, welcome. My name is Luke Thomas. You might know me from MMA Fighting or SiriusXM or this very YouTube channel. We're here to talk about UFC Fight Night 103 that just wrapped. I will obviously save quite a bit for the Monday morning analyst, but I kind of want to react to what we just saw. Of course, you probably saw it from the title, but there's going to be some spoilers ahead. So if you want to avoid that, it's probably a bit late now, but you can probably save yourself some heartache if you tune off right now. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay. Um, what happened? Well, Yair Rodriguez just beat BJ Penn. Um, what can we say about it? That's a fight that in retrospect, probably didn't need to get made. I think a lot of people are, from what I can tell, expressing some angry sentiments at the UFC for even booking a fight like that, a 24 versus a 37-year-old guy. I think a lot of, I think some of that is hindsight being 2020. I don't really know how much we can say that this fight had no business being made. A lot of us, uh, or there was just a lot of members who, you know, I think most people thought rationally. BJ has no real way to win, but this is a game full of surprises. He had credited Jackson Wink, however, falsely with some kind of reinvention, and he had validators in Jackson and Jason Perillo and others saying, no, no, this time will be different. And maybe things were different in training. That is entirely possible, but they were not different in the cage. Uh, they were bad. It was obvious after, I think for me, there was one time where BJ had an underhook on the left side and was sort of pummeling on the inside, doing like bicep control. Um, but he had Rodriguez against the fence, and he didn't even level change for a takedown there. He kind of just stayed right there. Now, not like he could. That was a really tight wizard that Rodriguez had. But once they separated, man, you could just see the speed difference was out of control. Um, it, I actually wrote, I tweeted, if you checked the, the broadcast, I tweeted it like three seconds before Daniel Cormier said it, because he obviously was cage side. He must have seen the exact, everyone watching saw the exact same thing. Um, it, was, it wasn't just that the movement generally of Rodriguez was faster, but the hand speed was faster. There was a fluidness, of course, to his striking, and Penn had an answer for none of it, man. And one of the hallmarks of a fighter who is, um, God, I hate to use this word, but this is what they would say in boxing. The hallmark of a fighter who is shot is, when they don't throw offense back, they just kind of take it, which is what you saw. It was he landed a couple of decent shots, but he was getting marked up pretty early. Rodriguez was throwing whatever he wanted, and there was this theory that Perillo had floated ahead of time. I put it on my this very YouTube channel where he said, you know, that inexperience of Rodriguez that's not a style preference, that's a guy that um, is inexperienced because experienced guys basically learn over time the better and better you, you fight someone. Right, the higher level you go, you just can't get away with that stuff anymore. And um, and I thought that was an interesting theory. So let's see how that plays out practically. And maybe there's something to that. There, that that might not be a wrong idea. Every time we have one of these contests, the coaches of one side say something, and the coaches of the other side say something else. And then what winds up happening is that the the side of the winning fighter, those coaches look like geniuses, and the other ones look like idiots. And I don't really feel like that's fair. Yes, there might be some idiocy, and maybe there's some luck on the side of the winning side too, but there's there's generally truth on both sides. So uh, that wasn't the case tonight, or at least BJ Penn wasn't the guy to take advantage of that. And in fact, I thought um, some of the risks that Rodriguez was taking in this particular fight 
were those he felt he could get away with. In other words, it was a very calculated risk. It wasn't kamikaze. It was a guy who was like, this guy has nothing for me. Why not throw whatever it is I feel like throwing? Um, and then the speed of it and the power of it, and Penn just looked withered on the vine, man. Uh, it was ho- it was horrible to watch. You know, to see a guy who uh, was a Hall of Famer and one of the only three guys ever won two titles in two weight classes and, um, you know, a guy who fought all the Gracies up to middleweight and then Machida at light heavy and, um, you know, who I remember when Takanori Gomi was the man and BJ Penn rolled over him at Rumble on the Rock. Like, God, it's hard to watch, man. It is just really painful to have to go through, but I guess that's where we are at. Um, oof. Uh, Penn did not speak after the fight. Um, at least not in the TV broadcast. I saw it kind of came right up to my office as soon as it was over. So maybe he said something since then. I don't know. Um, Rodriguez, it's amazing. You know, my Spanish is terrible. It's not good. I mean, I can converse quite poorly and in a very limited way. Like I have a great time talking to toddlers because it's so easy for me to talk to them. Anything above that, my level of sophistication drops off pretty quickly. Um, But in any case, I got enough, you know, uh, in my back pocket to see that when Rodriguez speaks Spanish, which he did right after the fight, man, his personality comes alive. Holy crap. You know, uh, he is buzzing with energy and, and like a man in full, like effusive with, uh, his, his language is descriptive and, and poignant and emotional. And the problem is in English, he's trying his best, but he hasn't quite brought that personality to his English yet. And he will over time. I mean, the kid's 24. I'm not bagging on him at all. I'm just saying. Uh, if you're a Spanish speaker or you're like me, a busted Spanish speaker, uh, you can tell. You could hear his Spanish. And it was kind of kind of remarkable, actually, to see, a, I won't say another side of him, but perhaps the right side of him. That That's the real one, right? The one we're getting in English is, um, it's still him too, but it's him, you know, working through a different communication medium, obviously. Uh, this has to be the end for Penn, at least as far as the UFC is concerned. And I don't know what their contractual deal with him is. I don't know if this was, if he's got several more on an existing deal. I, you know, I certainly am not one of these kinds of guys who believes fighters should be held up in contracts. Um, you almost hope that he is. And I, I don't even like saying that, but you almost hope that he is because I don't want any other promoter, uh, you know, commissions. If this is, I, could you imagine a commission licensing him at this point? I mean, maybe for someone way low level, it wouldn't be nearly as bad, but um, it can get bad. Pre- I mean, he has no business at this level anymore. Uh, you know, even if you're like, oh, it'll be a regional scene fight. That's even that might be uh, a tall order uh, at this point. Like he needs to stop. Um, and everyone's like, you can never tell another man to retire. I'm not his mother. Like he's not going to listen to me. Nothing I say matters with respect to that. Um but I feel like it's frankly an ethical responsibility to say this is not, this is not healthy. Uh, this is, and, and this, the upside is not clear here, right? You can do things that are unhealthy if there's a unequivocal upside to it, or at least an, an arguable one. And that appears to be missing. So that's terrible. Um, I frankly thought, and I tweeted this out, I frankly thought that the fight could have been stopped between the first and second rounds. I think his corner, I mean, it's a legend, and folks are going to just let it ride, I suppose. Um, but I thought that a corner, if they didn't let him out for the second round, I was I was going to be thankful. 
right? I mean, look what happened to him. Nothing good. He got stopped 24 seconds into the second round. I'm not saying that they had a moral duty to stop it, but I wouldn't have been upset if they had. And I frankly, you know, I, I, as a, again, I'm not going to accuse them in this particular case, but I think in general, uh, MMA corners could be better about protecting their fighters. Um, you know, this one is, I can understand why they would let him go out for a second round. It's, it is, it is, I can conceive of a rational response there, but, um, and it's always harder for those. I mean, it's so hard to make those calls. You know, Penn, of course, objected to the stoppage itself, which I'll get to in just a second. Can you imagine how livid he would be if his corner threw a towel? I mean, you would damage a relationship with this guy forever. So I can understand why they would be under enormous pressure not to do it. Uh, fair enough. But um, it would have been okay by me if they had done it. Now, I'll talk about that stoppage for a second. A lot of people were saying it went on a little long. I disagree. Um, again, would have been okay if he stopped it a little bit sooner. And I'll go back and watch it again. This is my first draft of history. But my sense upon watching it was he was um, – a lot of the shots were getting through, but he was trying to center his hips the whole time and facing uh, Rodriguez or to get to his base or something. Eventually, he got overwhelmed and he stopped moving as much as he needed to, or even if he had his hips squared, it stopped being of, of value. But – and, and what is also going to be Penn's last fight. I can understand why McCarthy let it go a little bit longer than he should have. I think you can quibble with the very end of the line, but I don't I don't know that I would look at this and go, oh my God, this is an egregious mistake. I feel like a lot of it is sentimentality towards Penn affecting that. Um, so I'll go back and look. Maybe it was a terrible stoppage on second thought, but my first initial instinct was a little long, but not, not the end of the world. Um, Another point to consider here, this fight took place at the featherweight division. Boy, when everyone buried featherweight, I, I don't know that that made a lot of sense, right? You, I mean, I'm not saying Rodriguez is now the next title contender, but certainly I think we can all look around and say uh, these divisions are growing, and as they grow week over week, month over month, stars begin to emerge and contenders begin to emerge and interesting matchups begin to emerge, and, and it's a good thing. And featherweight is great right now. Perfect? No. Got a long way to go? Sure. But it's a great division, and guys like Gary Rodriguez, who are 24 years old, are tearing it up right now. So um, that's always a great thing to see. Oof. Still just absolutely like – can you imagine if he had fought Dennis Seaver? He probably wouldn't have gone well, but it would have been closer, and so maybe he could have hang, hung on to – there's almost a benefit to this because if I, I think if he had fought Lamas or especially this case Rodriguez, I'm glad he got a really tough opponent in only one respect, which is that like, okay, I mean, I can't imagine what he could possibly say at this point that could allow himself to think that he can keep doing this. I suppose it's possible, right? Um, but I don't know what that would be. Like that, that was such a thorough end to end, um, domination that, um, what could he possibly say? Uh, you know, this, he was talking about going for the title. I mean, you're miles away from something like that. So, so this is going to be an interesting one to to put it mildly and pay attention to, and a heartbreaking one anyway. Twenty four seconds into the second round, mm, man, that was that was brutal. Uh, okay, Joe Lazan defeated uh, Marcin Held split decision, and I normally don't read the scores on this one because I like to say that for the Monday Morning Analyst, but. You had Held winning 30-27 on one scorecard and then 29-28 for Lausanne on the other two. So that's unusual. 
Uh, I didn't agree with the decision. Again, this might be one where you go back and you watch uh, the second time around, and you may be like, oh, okay, maybe it was not got that one. Certainly, it was close and competitive. Um, but I thought that held – I thought the wrestling was really great. I thought that um, – I thought a lot of the grappling exchanges were just phenomenal. So, you know, some of the guard sequences, uh, attacking sequences that Lozano was throwing up, and then watching the slow maneuvering of Held's defense to get out of it was pretty remarkable as well. Um, uh, that was a treat to watch. I just thought that physically, the guy doing more of the controlling was Marcin Held. Um, but that might be the. I, I, here's what I know. Um, Something's amiss when you have 30-27 on one scorecard and 29-28 on the other two. It's, it is, I suppose it is conceivable if rounds are close that you get scorecards like that, but there's still, there's still something a, a little bit unsettling about them. So we'll have to see uh, upon second viewing. But that, that one guard sequence that he had where um, he was going for the arm bar and then he went for – like, it looks like he was trying to go for Omoplata and then switched – and went to try to go for a triangle and nearly got it. Like there was a nice sequence there from Joe Lazan. And the timing on Hell's takedowns, like the 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 shot was so expertly timed and quick. Um and look, win or lose, that was a better performance than the Diego Sanchez fight, which took place at altitude. Remember that. Uh, I think Held was a little bit uh, you know under the gun on that one. He looked sharp on this one. And Lazan looked pure evil with his striking, those elbows to the side of the head in the first round. Oh, those were phenomenal. You could tell, like, the after the first couple landed, you could tell that was something he liked. Now, not, I don't mean the act of butchering this guy's temple, but I mean, like, you – sometimes when guys throw techniques, you can tell they've been waiting for an opportunity to use them because they know they've got most people in the gym dead to rights on them. And I felt like when Lazan was landing the first one and the second one, he wasn't adjusting at all. Like the first one landed clean. Second one landed clean, like nice arc on him and everything. Again, you can't go this way, but you can you can kind of scoop it in, which is what he did. And it looked uh, painful and accurate and, and precise. And so when like the, the rest of them followed up, I was like, you could tell Lazan was just waiting for that opportunity. Um, so that was cool to see. Um, not Matt was on winning per se because he's a great guy, but uh, and he even admitted he thought he got screwed on the other one. So maybe this is some sort of MMA gods karma. I don't know. But in any case, um, if you had it for Marching Held, I think there's a strong case to make that he won the second and the third rounds. But maybe it's more debatable uh, upon second viewing. Ben, another sketchy one: Ben Saunders defeating Court McGee, also by unanimous decision. This one was was really close. Court McGee completing his beard, which I really appreciated from him. Um. This was a weird one. It, as long as uh, McGee fought at distance, what was happening was he comes here, right? He comes here, he comes here, he comes here. And then when he would hit us, he likes to pressure and then let go with his hands. But as he lets go, as he as his hands become at range, it wasn't going all that well for him. He, he was maybe getting picked apart because you know, of all the kicking that Saunders did. But McGee's defense was pretty good up here. But when he begins to attack you, he goes to here and stays here for several seconds. And that's when Saunders was having some great success because he would be following him and instead of throwing punches from here to maybe marginal effect, he was throwing from here now. And they were having even less effect or at least he was creating some openings to be countered. And Saunders was having uh, a decent time with that. In the end, that, that rubber guard he was using, I don't know if about the rubber guard to speak on the variety he was using, um, you know, arm in sort of um, partial halfway triangle. It's, it's just a form of control. Uh, I, I mean, there are submissions probably from there, but they weren't really close. He was very slippery. Um, 
um, McGee was. He appeared to have great elbow in posture, um, you know, hands on the chest to make sure he wasn't really getting in trouble. It was creating a bit of a stalemate, but it nevertheless was effective in neutralizing any kind of uh, ability to of Saunders to like work towards something. So something to be said for that. Um, but we'll have to take a look at more of that in detail. Sergio Pettis, I thought, had a nice win over John Moraga. John Moraga, by the way, this might be it for him, man. Uh, Sean Alshadi was telling me that this guy appears to be like not at his wits, or maybe at his wits end with, with how it's gone for him and how much money he's made and where he's gone with it. Kind of was like, is this really worth my time anymore? So pay attention to what John Moraga does next. Maybe he'll feel differently after this fight, but he loses. I thought Pettis looked really good, man. And the key to that one to me looked like distance management. And I'll tell you, the only thing that worries me about Sergio Pettis is that he's looking better and better. He's looking bigger and bigger. He might move up to bantamweight at some point. I guess we'll see. It's up to him. But um, I thought I have a lot of positive things to say about him. I really thought he did a good job for the most part of staying out of trouble by really kind of always working on the outside as expertly as he could, drawing uh, Moraga into his punches and then landing him at his range, right? Like coming in, faking, getting a reaction out of you and then countering you off of that. And then because at that point I can angle out and, be at a better distance. You saw a lot of that from Sergio Pettis. I thought that was great. I thought that was really great. But the only problem is the guy has eight UFC fights. He's been to the third round in seven of them. You know, on the one hand, you're like, wow, that's a lot of great experience for him. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. No argument against it. It's great. On the other hand, you kind of wonder, that's a lot of ring time for a guy who's you want to preserve. You're only 23 years old. Like, there's a point where you have too much of uh, uh, the ring time and uh, there could be a point where you have too little, but I think there's probably something to be said for the fact that if he had a couple of quick stoppages in there, uh, not quick, but you know, let's say first or second round, it'd be better for him in the sense that he wouldn't be taking as much damage or just putting as much mileage on his body. I, I would like to see things becoming a little bit, uh, you know, not easier for him, I suppose, but finding ways to close the show, becoming a better finisher. Because he, he had a moment there in that first round, and, you know, that doesn't mean he was anybody could have gotten it. It's still incredibly difficult. I just mean um, maybe finding ways to really up the potency of his offense in those moments where guys are hurt. Uh, easier said than done, but I think worth exploring if you're going to keep going to these third and eventually five-round fights, that there's going to be a cost to pay for that, so... I'm um, trying to think of anything on the uh, main card. Oh, sorry, I should say the prelim card worth noting. Yeah, a couple of things, I think. Number one, uh, Augusto Mendez, who is a legit world champion in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, super legit. Uh, Gui and Nogi. Um, he won basically on wrestling and, and striking. Uh, striking is a little bit, uh, you know, it's a, um, it's a work in progress. I thought his wrestling was pretty good. Right, good timing on it was running it down sometimes at angles. Um, you could see some of those. He, he was one of these guys who had success at ADCC to an extent uh, because uh, of some, you know the rules there. Pulling guard becomes problematic. Um, he had good takedowns, and um, you could see that as over time he's really one of these jujitsu guys who's really invested in it. And you know, striking's got some work to do, but you, you know, once it reaches the ground, he's going to crush people. And his wrestling's not too shabby. So, uh, and, and you know, he was able to, to land some significant strikes too, although you know, he took a bunch of his own. But um thought that was pretty cool. Let's talk quickly about the Alexi Olinik uh, Ezekiel choke because there was a lot of discussion about this. And I don't have a sleeve to show you. Oh, I should have brought one of my geese up here. You know what? I'll do that in the Monday morning analyst. Do I have any kind of sleeve? I got this one, but this doesn't really do the job. It's a short sleeve. All right. 
So what is an Ezekiel choke? Basically, most you learn it at white belt. It comes from um, typically they show you when you're in mount. So you've mounted someone. What do you do? You take one hand, you put it underneath their neck. So their neck is resting here. You might be looking at them. You might be ear to ear, but their their neck is here facing you. And what you do is you grab the inside of your sleeve here. You roll your knuckles deep because if you just get your fingers, it'll hurt. And you roll it deep. And what you do is some guys do this. Some guys do this. Some guys make a ball. Really depends on how you get taught and what you like and what you can reasonably pull off based on your hand size and your entries and everything else. But I was taught like this. So, I mean, I don't really do them, but, you know, like this. Um, and you snake it against their throat. So the back of this would be like this against their throat. And what you basically do is, and this other way so you can see, you, I mean, your hand is, is, is locked in place because you're gripping the sleeve. But you go in their throat and you just scissor it out, basically. This goes um, – actually, a lot of people might – some people put the blade on the throat. Some people put the wrist on the throat. Again, all these things have variations. Just understand that. Because uh, some people like to do it where they get in and then they slide over, right, so they can get all of this on your throat. Um, it just depends on who's doing it to you and how far they can get. But that's basically the idea. You grab the inside of your sleeve, you rotate that over, and then you kind of scissor it out. You you hold onto that sleeve real tight as you take this and you drive it into their throat right, up, right, right on top, typically. And uh, it's awful. It's like when you have to drill those in practice with someone, they're god-awful. You hear people coughing all the time. So what the room usually does is they warm up, then they get shown techniques, and then they roll at the end of class. And then the technique portion of the class, you'll hear coughing as everyone just does it to each other all the time because people are like, <laughs> it's, it's awful. They feel awful, awful. But they're hard to do. No, I don't even know how you do them, no-gi. I've never, actually never even done that. Um I mean, I know there's no gi varieties out there, but they're rare. I mean, there's no gi uh, baseball bat chokes, right? Which you can do, which are typically, you know, just gi chokes. Um, but let's talk about what that means. So anyway, you get the idea. It's a, it's just you're 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 just chopping either here or kind of here or even in between. You're just chopping down the blade by grabbing the inside, right? All right. Um, so this is the first ever Ezekiel choke in the UFC. There's a reason for that. The reason is that um, they don't really work on people who are really good. Now, here's the truth. With the gi on, it becomes a bit of a different equation. You can see guys get finished at, even at a high level with an Ezekiel choke. But it's very, very rare. And there are different kinds of Ezekiel chokes. There's an arm in Ezekiel choke. There's an Ezekiel choke from the back with the gi. Like, there's different varieties. But that one from mount, that's fairly rare at a high level. Guys don't really tap to that. Uh, they almost never get caught in it to begin with. And so I made a point, like, if you look at Olenek's record, he's beaten some good guys with that, uh, Adlong Amagov, who, who wasn't a heavyweight but still a good fighter. Um, not Some of the guys he beat with it aren't that great. But the point being is if you're a UFC-level fighter, you probably shouldn't be getting caught with an Ezekiel choke, especially when you're the one in mount. Now, let me give credit to Olenek. It's a clever setup. What he does is he sets up by controlling head. He, he was mounted. He actually let the guy get in mount because I think he's tried it before. Right? He gets here. He's controlling the guy on top of him. Uh, like this, at least controlling his posture, I should say. And when the guy's not looking, he, he clamps on like this, almost like a rear naked choke, grabbing his bicep, and then slides this underneath. And I think, I because th he's controlling the head here, so he gets underneath. So it's the th it's the it's this against the throat with the head head here. I can't, my arms are too big, I can't get it. But uh, and they, I think he squeezes out. I have to go back and look exactly to see his method, but he clearly has it down. Look, that's a cool submission. There's no denying it. If a submission works, keep using it until it doesn't. But there's a reason why like Demi and Maya never tries Ezekiel chokes in MMA. There's a reason why they don't work on guys like Demi and Maya. 
in MMA is because those percentages are very low submission or low percentage to begin with. And as the guys get better and the competitions get better generally, or, uh, and, and you throw in, you know, sort of the tactical reality of things, you don't have a sleeve to grip onto. Um, guys often, yes, do try them less, but they try them less because they're just low percentage to begin with. Why, why really encumber yourself? Um, with something now that has all these other disadvantages, like guys who are really good, they get caught in submissions, sometimes even basic ones, but usually it's really hard to do that. Like, consider something. People think all submissions just work at basically the same rate of how often they're applied, and that's just not true, right? Um, if you go to a, okay, so the worlds will be in May this year of jujitsu, and I know that's MMA, that's jujitsu, it's not MMA, but the, the same rules apply, you know. Part of the reason what made Hodge Gracie so amazing was he had all these many titles. But the other part that made it was he would just there was he would just pass the guard and then just cross choke a guy, which is another gi choke. And that's a that's another gi choke you learn basically as a white belt. You know, there's other gimmicky chokes like that called a loop choke. You'll catch people with a loop choke occasionally, but it's pretty hard to do, right? It's just another gi choke, another sleeve gi choke too, by the way. But the truth of the matter is this: you know what's really rare at the black belt level? At the black belt level, you know what's really rare as a submission? Armbar from the guard. When you watch the Worlds in May, you will you probably will, will not see hardly any armbars from the guard. At blue belt, you'll see a bunch. Purple, less, brown, even less. And at white belt, you'll see, a, you'll see a, a, you know, hundreds of them. Because they work on less sophisticated opposition. Um, doesn't mean you can't get them. Doesn't mean guys who are an elite won't tap to them. If a submission's on, then a submission's on. And you have to give credit to the guy who's doing it. You have to respect the submission. I'm just trying to tell you that all submissions don't work equally across the amount of which they're, uh, times they're uh, uh, attempted. Some are easier than others. Triangles are much more common and work more often than omoplatas. I think part of that is the mechanical advantages that come with having a triangle choke. But the other part is that guys who are really good almost never put themselves in a position to get caught you know what is common at the black belt level insofar as submissions are bow and arrow chokes those are much more common partly because of the positions guys find themselves in but also because there's only so many ways a person can defend themselves getting a hold of a big obvious thing like a lapel and getting it across someone's throat and because there's so many entries to it um, that is more common a bow and arrow kind of choke so i just want to make it clear like there are chokes yeah, could could you see an Ezekiel choke in May at the black belt level? You could. It's just highly unlikely. What is much more likely is something like um, an Estima lock. Well, that's the Estima brothers do that. But let's say, you know, a toe hold or something like that. You see a ton of toe holds at the black belt level. Something like that or a knee bar or um, you, you get the idea. Like they don't all just work the same amount. Hey, you know, 25% of the time, the guillotines work. Not really. Not really. Um, they all work at different rates for different reasons. And the Ezekiel choke is a very low percentage submission, even in the gi. Without the gi, it's even lower. And then from mount, it's even lower. My only point is if you're in the UFC, you shouldn't be getting finished that way. If, if Alinyuk is beating guys on the regional level that way, no problem. And I bet his choke catches really good guys all the time. I think the other thing you could say about it was uh, the guy he beat was Victor Pesta. Pesta, I mean, this isn't Olenek's first uh, Ezekiel choke finish. This is the eighth. This is the eighth. He should have done his homework on that. He should have seen that coming a little bit and sort of just knew to protect himself a little bit better. So that's partly a homework issue too. So I don't want to sit here and argue that the that catching someone with a nogi Ezekiel while you're being mounted is not cool because it is. But people were like sub of the year. Nah, you got to sub somebody good to get sub of the year.
you got to beat somebody uh, who's, who knows how to like really defend submissions or has, you know, a very respectable level of it. And guys who get caught from Mount with an Ezekiel choke, no gi, hard to say that they got, they've got really good submission defense. Maybe he does. Maybe I'm totally wrong about that. I could be, if I am, I will acknowledge as much, but I have my doubts. You just don't see guys like Demi and Maya try stuff like that. And it's not accidental. Gunnar Nelson doesn't do stuff like that. It's not accidental. They don't really work on good guys and good guys don't want to waste their time with that kind of thing. But if you can invest in something and make it good enough to catch a lot of people, I can also understand a reason to use that. So good on him for the win. I mean, that's one hell of a win. <laughs> I will give him that. I just don't want fans to think, oh, that's sub of the year. Mm -mm. Uh, and then uh, I thought uh, Walt Harris looked good. I'll talk about that some more in the Monday Morning Analyst. And I thought Nina Ansaroff had a bit of a rough going at first. She was getting torched with that right hand. But on the ground, I thought she had pretty good control. She was a little high. I thought Daniel Cormier was right about that. She was a little high up, but she maintained control from mount to back. She was getting her feet all the way on the other side of the hips. Did you guys see that? Really, she would have her instep on the opposite side hip. That was really, really great. Um, you know, she was doing she was doing very, very well. Um, uh, and I thought her ground and pound was ferocious. And you know, to finally get that rear naked choke at the very, very end, she was a lot of determination. She was off for a while, so strong win for her. But she's got some you know work to do. But um, a couple of other news and notes: John Anik, apparently, according to Joe Rogan, is going to be the next color. Not color. I'm sorry. What am I saying? Is likely to be the replacement for Goldberg. He said that on the uh, uh, companion tonight. Speaking of Goldberg, <laughs> he was in attendance as a fan in the seats wearing a Harley Davidson t-shirt. Now, I don't know if he's just doing it as a gag. I don't know if he's he's like sad about it. I don't know what, <laughs> what he's doing, but that was certainly unexpected, uh, to put it mildly. Um, Daniel Cormier on commentary tonight I thought was uh, good. A little bit less buttoned up than Brian Stan. You might prefer that. I prefer that a little bit less, although I would certainly give him high marks. It just is a preference thing at that point. There's no right or wrong answer there, I suspect. Um, I thought John Anik was good. Um, and they announced UFC 210 will be in Albany, and UFC 208 will have a three-man booth. It'll be Anik, Rogan, and DC, I believe. Um, I don't like the three-man booth in MMA, but with guys that talented, maybe they can pull it off. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. I guess we'll have to wait and see what that's all about. Uh, let me see if you guys have any questions on Twitter, and I will get to them. Penn's Corner is one of the few ever to throw in towel in the sport. How did this fight even happen? Sad, very sad. Are the new owners looking for long-term investment in creating new stars? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's a given, right? Yeah, that was something. That was something. Um, I'm not sure if, what else, if there's anything else that I'm missing before I let you guys go. Yair versus Brian Ortega. I'd love it. I'd love it. Here's your bonuses. Yair Rodriguez uh, gets an extra 50K. I mean, how could you not? I suspect that um, Alexei Olenek will get the performance of the night bonus, which I wouldn't be upset with. Yes, he does. And then Augusto Mendez and Frankie Sines each get 50K. So that's something to be said for that. That's not a bad call. I'm all right with that. Yair versus Choi. Ooh, no. Choi's, Choi's coming off a tough, brutal fight i would like to see him get someone a little bit more manageable um 
Derek Cleary scored round one, 10 8 for Rodriguez against Penn. Junichi Rokumijo and Marcus Rosales gave him a 10 9. There were, as you saw, the UFC made an attempt at all three levels of the broadcast. So from Five Pass to Fox Sports One, both prelim and then main card, they tried to tell folks about the new rules, uh, which I thought was a really good thing on their part. So I commend them for doing it. How much that will sink in or how much the casual fan cares, I suppose, is a, is a different matter. Yeah. Uh, uh, attendance of 11,589 for a gate of just a shade under a million, 913,000. I'll get to that stuff on the Monday morning analytics. No biggie with that one. Oh, and then lastly, um, I guess the ultimate fighter is going to be season, what, 25? It's going to be redemption. It's going to have some tough winners on it, a current UFC fighter. And um, coaches will be Cody Garbrandt and TJ Dillashaw. I am hearing that the weight class will be welterweight. So take that for what it's worth. Um, okay. If you guys have any questions, you can email me, luke.thomas at sbnation.com. The Monday Morning Analyst will be out tomorrow. I was going to do Penn versus Rodriguez, but I don't even know what to break down now, so I guess I'll do a little bit of Held versus Lausanne or something. Ugh, ugh. Kind of sad, I guess. Um, and I guess I'll go into that Nogi Ezekiel choke because that'll be kind of fun. Okay. Um, thank you guys so much for watching. I appreciate it. Like the video, subscribe to the channel for more stuff like this. If you want one for Bellator next week, I'll do it. I will, of course, do it for UFC on Fox. So uh, some more live content for you guys. I appreciate everyone who has already subscribed. We got, we've got we almost quadrupled our subscription numbers here in the last few months. So if you've joined up, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And um, until next time, get some sleep. <laughs>